Good morning, church. Well, as you can tell, Pastor Chad's not here today. He's on vacation. Um, he had asked me about five weeks ago um, if I would give the sermon. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Shane. I'm a deacon with the church. Um, so this is not my normal thing. And I'm usually pretty comfortable in front of, in front of people. Uh, and he goes, hey, I need you to, to preach on this Sunday. And he goes, uh, I need you to, to get me your verses so we can kind of figure out what, you know, what you're going to do. I said, okay. And I had it, man, it was just immediate. I knew exactly what I wanted uh, to teach on. And I gave it to him. He said, yeah, that sounds good. And so as I was getting my stuff together, I realized real quick, you know what, this is something that <laughs> I struggle with so bad. I guess that was why it, it came to me so quick. But then I, I started studying, and I started digging, and I started reading, and I started studying, and I, I just kept going, oh, man, I have bitten off more than I can chew. So, y'all, I, I just want you to understand today that I'm, I'm going to do the best I can uh, with this subject because this was a tough subject for me. Um, I didn't realize how tough it was until I really got into it. Um, what I'd like to do first is I just, I just want to say, uh, say a prayer, try to get centered. Father, Lord, you're good. Um, you put each and every one of us in the right spot at the right time. And Lord, I thank you for each individual here that was, that's here this morning. Lord, I pray that um, as I bring your word, that I, I am completely led by the Holy Spirit. That your words speak through me clearly, precisely, um, so that people can understand. Lord, you know that um, my sense of uh, nervousness right now my struggle with this, and Lord, I, I just pray that you would uh, comfort me, um, and as I do bring the word, that you would just open people's eyes, hearts, and minds. pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, when you were coming in, uh, they were passing out little, little pieces of paper or asking you to uh, just write something down that brings you pleasure. This is a good one. All right, this is one that did not come up in the first service. Seeing a beautiful sunset. That is, I like, I like the sunsets, but I really love to see the sunrise. I love being on a lake, on the water somewhere, and watching the sunrise. Fantastic. My loved ones, of course, family. The love of family. Let's see. All right. This one was, <laughs> all right, for those of you who don't know Richard, somebody put Richard. <laughs> so, <laughs> Richard can bring you pleasure. Uh, my kids. All right. So far, I really, I think every one of us can find pleasure in almost all those things. It's very simple. Life is full of pleasures. Man, life is just good. It should be. 
Um, I love fishing, hunting. It's always odd when I'm not up here playing. So, but I love hearing the music. I love being able just to worship with y'all too. So that's that is so. That's a pleasure that I I don't get to participate in very often. I got to do it this morning. Um, pleasures in life shall we are alive. But a life centered in Christ is real living. I'd like to say that again. Pleasures in life shall we are alive. But a life centered in Christ is real living. That's what we're really going to be talking about today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 2, 10, and 11. But before we get started, um, give you a little history. Uh, this book was written by uh, King Solomon. Um, He's the third king of Israel. His dad was David. His mom was Bathsheba. And when he was young, Gur, uh, the Lord came to him in a dream. And basically, he said, the Lord said, whatever you want, I will give to you. Well, Solomon knew that he was going to be ruling Israel. He was going to be king. And he said, I want wisdom to lead my people. Well, the Lord, that so pleased God that he basically blessed him with every treasure you could imagine. Every pleasure, every treasure. Now, you can read about, uh, you know, the whole dream thing. is First King uh, in chapter 3. Now, Solomon became the most powerful king on earth. Um period. People came to, kings came to sit at his feet just to listen to him speak. That's intense. I can't really imagine being so in awe of somebody that I would, you know, travel the way that they would have had to have traveled back then as a king just to hear somebody speak. So this man must have been something special. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. Uh, Solomon also wrote the Proverbs, another book that we would consider a book of wisdom. If you ever just need a book that, you know, if, if you don't ever know what to read in the Bible, <laughs> there's a couple of places you can go. Proverbs, Psalms, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Very simple reads, very direct reads, all centered on Christ. Just just. Doesn't get much better. All right. Now, he wrote this book in reflection of his life of pleasure seeking and realizing that these things are not what's important. He's pointing to a simpler life lived in the light of God's direction. Um, what I want to do is we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 2, 10, 11, but I want to kind of give you a little bit of everything that these two verses summarize. So I'm going to read um, 1 through 9. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Now he's talking to himself here. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for, excuse me. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. 
I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So basically, he's saying he has tried anything and everything you can think of. He just, he's just trying to be happy. I think that's something a lot of us struggle with. I know I did. I know this is... For those of you who don't know my background, um, I grew up actually in this church. Um, but I was not <laughs> what you would call a saved man. As a child, I grew up, I heard all the truths, I knew all the truths, you know, I was taught all the truths. But I wanted to do my own thing. I was trying to search things out to bring pleasure to my life. And, you know, my brother, on the other hand, went a different direction. He realized, younger and early in his days, that, you know, well, it, yeah, it's, there's plenty of pleasure to enjoy. I'm just not doing it that way because that's not what God had intended. And so he's basically building up saying, look, I've found all these things and I've done all these things. To get to verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Now what Solomon's saying is that he tried everything to make himself happy. Everything. He put himself before God. He was selfish. And he discovered that nothing can truly fulfill his soul. Um, now you might ask, how do I know that he's selfish? Um, we're going to look at, take a closer look at the text. I, myself, and my are referenced 11 times in those two verses. He is focused on himself. 18% of those two passages are I, myself, and my. Uh, this is the me, myself, and I complex. He is completely focused on himself so there's nowhere if you're focused completely on yourself you are not going to be able to focus on God you are not going to be able to follow him let's get back into the verses I denied myself nothing my eyes desired I refused my heart no pleasure my heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for my toil if he saw it and he liked it he tried it now, heart here describes his feelings, his will, and his intellect, okay? So it's not, you know, a lot of times we think of heart, it's just, oh, just my feelings. No, 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 this, is, this is a, covers a large gamut of things. This is covering feelings, will, and intellect. So what he's thinking about, too. Now, I want to give a definition of pleasure, um, 
I think a lot of times in church we might think of that as completely a negative aspect, but it's, it's not. Um, a definition of pleasure is a feeling of happy satisfaction and, jo- and enjoyment. What someone cares about and takes delight in. I think we all kind of want to be happy and satisfied and enjoy life. Now, what Solomon is saying in, that, in, in verse 10 is that this is the fulfillment of every earthly desire that I've had, every pleasure that I've had. And then he goes on and says, And yet I surveyed that all my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Now, different translations may say vanity or it's futile. Um, now, this word in Hebrew is hebel. Um, it means emptiness, unsatisfactory. So everything that his hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was empty. It was unsatisfactory. So he had found that it just wasn't doing what he thought it was going to do. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. All right. Have you ever tried to chase wind? I mean, it's impossible. You can't. You can't catch it. You can chase it. You can't catch it. So that's basically what he's saying is that, you know, in this word, Hebel, it, it was just, it was unsatisfactory. Everything I tried just, in the end, did, did nothing. Now, 1 John 2, 16 and 17 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, Solomon had accomplished a lot. He tried many things to make himself happy, but he found that it left himself empty is what he found, unsatisfied. He put himself before God. He tried to fulfill his desires with the pleasures of life. Now, I found this. I thought this was kind of neat. There's a poet from ancient Greece named Euripides. And something that he's quoted as saying is, short is the joy that guilty pleasures bring. And I got to thinking about that, and I'm going, hey, I can relate. I love the buffet. I can go to the buffet, and I eat myself sick. And, yep, it's, it's short, because that guilty, that, that guilty pleasure uh, is short, because then I'm miserable. And then I got to go lay down and take a nap. So... I just, but, you know, that's something that I think is very, very true. Short is the joy that guilty pleasures bring. I think we all have something that we can relate to with that. Now, what are the reasons that we seek pleasure? Humans are pleasure-seeking individuals. That's pretty simple. It's a human desire to feel good. I don't want to feel bad. Do you want to? Nobody in here wants to feel bad. That's not the way that we were made. We were made to walk with God. Do you think that's a pleasurable experience or a painful experience? It's probably supposed to be pleasurable. Now, our brains actually produce a chemical called dopamine. And we produce the dopamine in response to pleasure. We like that feeling that the chemical gives us. So we were made to enjoy things. So scientifically, we, we desire pleasure. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Freud, but he does have something that is very applicable here. 
Freud called it the pleasure principle. It's the instinctive seeking of pleasure and avoiding of pain to satisfy biological and psychological needs. I do believe that. Biologically, we need food. We need water. We need shelter. The psychological things are our wants, our desires, our wishes, our aspirations. I think we desire to have those things fulfilled too. Now, on the screen is going to be Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs Theory. Now, this I wanted to show everybody because I believe that this is going to be a, a, a building block for what we're about to talk about. Um, biologically, or on the bottom is physiologically. All right, that's biological. That's going to be the same needs that Freud was talking about. It's the most basic things that we need just to operate. We need food. We need water. We need air. We need shelter. Once we have those things, we're going to hit the actual physiological side, okay? Um, the psychological side now, sorry, is going to be safety. That's going to be the next step. Once we have food, we have water, we have air, we're going to get into the psychological needs. Personal security. We want to feel safe. Once we have food and water and those things, we want to feel safe. We want to have employment. We want to have money. We want to have resources. We want to be healthy. Now, once we have those things, next we're going to go to the social level. So all these things are building on each other. Now, the social level is going to be a love-belonging need. Okay, It's going to be your family. It's going to be friendship. It's going to be intimacy. If you're married, it's going to be sex. Okay, If you're not married, it could be sex. We want a sense of connection with others. This is the social aspect, the love, the belonging. Once we have that, then we're going to go into the esteem side. That's going to be self-esteem. If you have others, friends and family that love you, are building you up, you're going to have more self-esteem. You're going to have more confidence. Then you're going to want achievement. Next is the, the top of the pyramid. That's the self-actualization. This is to become the most one can become. Once we have all those things building us up, that's, that's where we're wanting to get to, is, is to become the most that we can become. So how does this relate to us? Right? We're going to dig a little bit into Solomon's quest for the satisfaction, the pleasure aspect. Physiological needs. Solomon had to eat and drink. In the beginning, he was talking about the wine. And, and Everybody in here, you may not think that you can relate to the wisest, richest man on earth. All right, he had all the best foods that were available. He had the exotic foods. Y'all, I can go over here to Walmart, Kroger, and get exotic foods now. On demand. Here's what he had. He had food and wine on demand. Y'all, we can do that. Security. Solomon desired more gold and houses. But he also had more herds and flocks than anybody in, in Jerusalem before him. Well, y'all, I mean, if our health's okay, we can work. 
We can build these things, can't we? Security. Now, social. He had lavish parties. He had music on demand. We have, hey, <laughs> we can have all that. We can get on our, on our cell phone, pull our cell phone out, pull up a group, start having group communications, have a party right there on, online. Now, this is something that I don't relate to. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, uh, one's enough. Esteem. He had kings sit at his feet to listen to him speak. And he had great achievements. He had, y'all, he built the temple. He built these incredible gardens and these, these incredible palaces. Now, that, that might not be something that I could do, but I think we can see that, you know, people, he had the esteem aspect. Now, the self-actualization, he was given wisdom, riches, and respect. But y'all, in the end, he, he said it was Hebel. It was unsatisfactory. It was meaningless. Everything that he was doing was absolutely meaningless. So why is he saying that it was meaningless? In his wisdom, which God had given him, he realized he had turned away from God. He tried to fulfill himself with other things and that nothing can fulfill his soul except God. All right, now, this is where we're going to make a turn, and this is where I really struggled. When, when, when I got into this part and really started digging, I'm sitting here thinking, man, these things are, I, I see them easily outside of myself. But as I was, I was digging and, and I was studying, um, man, it just brought so much light into me. Because I'm saying, oh, man, I still do these things. I still struggle with these things. Solomon's desire for pleasure had become his idol. Most of y'all have probably heard, if you've ever been in church, sermons on idols. Um, but I wanted a definition that's going to actually be a part of what we're talking about. My definition for this is an idol is anything other than God in which we seek security and fulfillment. An idol is anything other than God in which we seek security and fulfillment. Now, actual definition, biblical definition, is worship or divine honor paid to any created object. Okay, so that's the real definition. So anything, any Worship or divine honor paid to a created object. And like I said, my definition is an idol is anything other than God in which we seek security and fulfillment. Now, in the book of Isaiah, I found these passages. And I want to read this. Um, it's Isaiah 44, 13 through 19, if you want to be an overachiever. Um, the carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with compasses. He shapes it into human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. 
It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. Rest, from the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my God. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of it I use for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? I think that is an absolutely eye-opening description of how we as people make idols out of good things. Now, this is about idols, but this is something that I found very, very, very interesting. And a little bit entertaining and very disturbing all at the same time. Now, uh, while the, um, Ezekiel was in Babylon, he had some elders come to him. And this is uh, Ezekiel 14, 3. Some of the elders came to him and, and wanted to ask of God. That was basically what they were there to do. He's a prophet. Hey, we've got all these things, bad things that are going on. We're in exile right now. What is God going to do? How is he going to bring us out of this? Well, by that point, a lot of the Israelites had really kind of grown into that culture. So they were kind of following the same idols and gods as, as the Babylonians. And so the elders came to Ezekiel to see what the Lord had to say. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire at all? All right. <laughs> these men have set up idols in their hearts. Literal translation of the Hebrew word for idols in this passage refers to little round things. They believe they were talking about dung. Crap. They had crap in their heart that was completely blocking him out. I, like I said, it's kind of entertaining. It's kind of disturbing. But that's what the Word of God says. So it kind of really brings that, my, you know, it really brings to light how God sees those things that we put in front of him. Now, there, there are three key aspects in our life that are going to overlap, okay? And we can look to see if there's idols in our life. And then there's four questions that we can ask about them to confirm if they're idols or not. The three key aspects in our, of our life that overlap are time, thought, and money. Very simple. Time. Where we spend our time tells us what we think is important. All right, we have to work. We work. Even if you're retired, I'm sure you're working, doing something, whether it be taking care of grandkids or traveling and going to get stuff, we're going to work. All right? How much time do we spend on our work? We can evaluate that ourselves. 
Uh, I found this quote, and I thought it was, I hear things like this all the time, and it drives me up the wall. Up the wall. The grave should be the only place for retirement. I don't want to work till I die. I'll be honest with you. Not, not a job. I want to be able to serve maybe and do some things, but I don't want to work till I die. We have family. We're going to spend a lot of time. If we have a family, we're going to spend time with them, hopefully. Um, I found a quote by Michael J. Fox. It said, family is not an important thing. It's everything. That's another one that I, I struggle with. Family can become an idol. And he's stating it right here that he has made it his idol. Um, we play. We have hobbies. Social media, I had to bring that in because of today's world. Um, that's something, y'all, that I struggle with. My whole life was a hobby at one time. I made a living fishing tournaments and playing music. That was not a living. That was hobbies. <laughs> and I still love doing those things. But they can become idols. Social media, oh, man, how much time do we spend in social media today? It's, I am constantly reminding myself I don't need to spend more time there. Um, I found this quote by Teddy Roosevelt. He's actually one of my favorite presidents. I, I just, I'd love to been able to, 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 to hang out with this guy just for a little while. And the quote he says is, when you play, play hard. Again, not, not right. But that was how I lived. Now, thought. All right, what does your mind replay over and over? Or what do you daydream about? All right, what does your mind replay over and over? And what do you daydream about? Daily tasks, work. Again, like I said, these things overlap. Are you constantly thinking about what's next that you've got to do? Now, what we think about has a tendency to become what we talk about or what we post about. So we have to actually be alert. What are we talking about? Because that will actually let us know what we're thinking about. What we read about. Again, what do you read about? Think about when you're on Facebook or you're on Instagram and something comes up and there's an article that it points to, what are you reading about? So that will show you what you're thinking about. Our desires. Better job, more money. You know, it can be, for unmarried people, that can be sexual desires. For married people, that can be sexual desires. What are you, what are you replaying in your mind? That's not a comfortable thing to talk about. But it's true. You can make those desires an idol. What you think about to bring about heart rejuvenation. In other words, what makes your heart happy? What do you think about that you can do to make your heart happy? That can be time alone. That can be time with friends or family. That can be vacation. I bring the bring up vacation because we're right in the middle of it. 
this week, next week, and then about the week before school starts back, it'll look like this. <laughs> because we're going out on vacation. But is that what our, do we work, do we spend our money, do we spend our time thinking about those things? If we do, that's something that we need to address. All right, money. Money's the last one. Where do you spend it, and does it drive you? Very simple. Look at your checkbook. If you look at your checkbook or you look at your bank statements, it's going to tell you what you find important. Are you always broke? This is one that is a real quick instant, real quick way to look and say, hmm, yeah, okay, I've got problems. Are you always striving for more? If you do have money, are you always striving for more? In Genesis 1, God says it was good about his creation, y'all, six times, about the creation. And then he gets to man, he said it was very good. Y'all, he wants us to enjoy the gifts that he provides and enjoy them to the full. He just doesn't want us <laughs> to put them before him. All right, here's the four questions you can ask yourself once you've looked at your time, your thoughts, and your money. So if you find a bunch of things overlapping in your life and your time, your thoughts, and your money, these are four questions that you can go, hmm, let's dive and see if this is an idol. Are you willing to compromise your beliefs for it? Y'all, if you're a Christian, these beliefs should come from the Bible. If you're compromising your beliefs for it, then it's probably a problem. Number two, will you get angry if you can't do it or don't get it? And when I was working on this, I was thinking about how um, messed up my life was because I would, if I was going to go fishing, there was nothing that was going to stop me from going to fish. And you wanted to see me blow up, get in the way of me, of, of doing something I wanted to do. Will you get angry if you can't do it or don't get it? That one hit me hard. Do you value it over people? That would be number three. Some of the examples are going to be, let's say someone makes you late. How do you react to that person? Someone cost you time or money. How do you react to that person? Let's say someone hurts your feelings. How do you react to that person? Now, this one, is, I was a little uncomfortable about this because we, look, my wife, my mom, and my daughter love animals. We have a lot of people here that volunteer and um, give a lot of time and, and, and do a lot of things for rescue shelters and stuff like that. Transporting animals, we have a lot of animal lovers here. We have a lot of farmers here. Um, do you value the animals over humans? Do you value trees over humans? We see a lot of this 
in our politics today. Creation over humans. Does it push you closer to God or pull you farther away from God? So basically, how does something impact your walk with God? Right? We can, it's simple. Does it push you closer to God or pull you farther away? The areas we spend our time on, what we think about, daydream about, how we spend our money, if you'll take these four questions, are you willing to compromise your beliefs for it? Will you get angry if you don't get it? Or if you can't do it or don't get it, do you value it over people? And does it push you closer to God or pull you farther away from God? Are going to help us identify the idols in our life. Now, James 1, 7 says, this is a little encouragement, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting sands. Now, the first commandment, um, we go to Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Yours may say, besides me. So, very direct. That is the first commandment. Now, here's, here's some steps that we can take as individuals. If, if we've taken those first three things, our time, our thoughts, and our money, and we've applied the four questions, now we can, number one, we can acknowledge what our idols are. These are steps that we can take. You've got to take those, those three aspects of our life. Apply the four questions. Acknowledge to yourself what your idols are. Number two. Now this, this is going to be all basically for Christians, okay? If you're not a Christian, this really doesn't really apply to you. Because you're going to do what you want to do anyway. And that's okay. I want you to be here with us, but you're not going to do these things. You're going to pray for forgiveness. His, gr His grace is sufficient. Number three, tell someone your struggles. Now, y'all, this is, this is hard for me, too. This is humility. This is one of the aspects that we need, community. This is why it's so important as Christians that we be in community with each other. <clears throat> Chad had, had, had been talking about the in, the up, and the out. There's a triangle. All right, that's going to be spiritual disciplines. That's going to be um, trying to tr truly be a disciple of Christ. If we're saved, we are so called to be a disciple of Christ. But that requires multiple things from us. We have to put in time. We have to set up barriers to things that interfere with your walk with God. That's going to be number four. Now, some of the what things that we're going to do on our spiritual discipline side to grow as a disciple is we're going to have to honor the Sabbath. We need rest. God knows that. We need to spend time in God's Word. We need to serve others. We just had the soup kitchen yesterday, and for all of you that came out, thank you. Um, you really, 
when you serve others, it really reminds you that it's not all about you. That God's love is pouring out, not just to us. It takes the me, myself, and I complex off of you, at least for a short period of time. That's why it's so important that we do serve others. Now, when we do this, we're going to find a freedom in Christ. and We're going to find a contentment in life. That contentment only comes from what Jesus can give. Jesus gives us a life worth living. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. That's an A or a B. There's no in between. Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. A, a complete life full of purpose. That's what we want. That's the self-actualization part. If you're following Christ... That is going to be the fulfillment. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon uh, wrote, this is 12, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or or evil. If you're a Christian, look at your life. See where you're falling short and just ask for forgiveness. If you're not a Christian and you want this life and you go, man, I struggle with these things and I see now that everybody struggles with these things. There's only one way to find that contentment and that's through Jesus Christ. That is through submitting to Him. That is acknowledging He is the Son of God. He has died and He has risen. And that He is the only way to heaven. Church, I want to pray. Um, Father, thank You for, uh, again, each individual here. Lord, I pray that um, the words that I've spoken have been clear. Lord, and thank you for, for working just in me. Thank you for, for knowing that I am a sinner and that you've called me um, to you and that you have given me the grace and mercy that I don't deserve. Father, I pray as we leave here that um, if there's things that, that you uh, want to point it out that we can just take our time and we can pray about it, we can search ourselves and and Lord, that we can, we can grow in you through this. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.